There is no substitute for the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Each weekday on Enjoying the Journey, Scott Pauley leads us in a brief study of Scripture. Today, on the Weekend Pulpit, we are happy to share a full-length Bible message given through Scott's pulpit ministry. These messages were recorded live in a local church or gospel event in recent days. It is our prayer that the message will be a help to you today. So with that in mind, I want you to open the Word of God with me, please, to the Gospel according to John, to John chapter number 21. And I bring you to a very interesting portion of Scripture. I'm coming back to it tonight in our revival meeting, and a different emphasis, but same portion of Scripture. It's a Scripture that is well known. It's well known. Matter of fact, when we get to it, you're going to say, oh, preacher, we know this one. May I remind you that sometimes it's the ones we know that we don't know. And I mean by that, sometimes those portions of Scripture that we are so very familiar with, we become so over-familiar with the text itself that we miss God's message to us in that passage of Scripture. And the one thing that I'd recommend to you is that when you come to a portion like this that's very familiar is that you slow down, pray your way through it, meditate on the Scriptures. Uh, what you'll find, look, there's nothing new there. How many of you know God's not writing any more Scripture? Listen to me. Though there's nothing new there, there's always something fresh there. And so I bring you to this powerful passage of Scripture in John 21 where the Lord Jesus is having a conversation with Peter. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 15. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, Lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved. He was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things, thou knowest that I love thee. And Jesus saith unto him, feed my sheep. It's interesting to see Peter's response, isn't it? By the way, sometimes we get so consumed with what we have to say that we miss what Jesus is actually saying. Lord, you know, you know I love you. You know everything. By the way, was Peter theologically accurate, yes or no? Yes. Does God know everything, yes or no? Absolutely he does. And did Peter love the Lord? Yes, I believe Peter loved the Lord. That wasn't the point. No, that wasn't the point at all. It wasn't so much about what Peter said to the Lord or about the Lord. It was more about what the Lord had to say to Peter. Listen to me for just a moment. If you're not careful in the Lord's work, in a good place like this, you can get real caught up with what we have to say and miss what the Lord is trying to say to you. You see, Peter was standing on the edge of everything God had prepared for him to do. He was on the cusp of a great ministry. As a matter of fact, he is... 
He's standing on the outset of his own personal ministry. To this point, he's been in Bible college. He's spent three and a half years with the Lord. He's been a young protege. He's been the assistant. He's been, he's been the one being sent out but coming back and giving account. And now, almost, almost, he's about to take the step into the ministry that God has prepared for him. And by the way, God had prepared some big things for him. Matter of fact, in Luke chapter number 22, the Lord Jesus said, Peter, I want you to know, the devil's desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. And let me say to every young person in this room this morning, the devil wants you too. Just last night I heard about a fine young couple, fine young couple, prepared, trained, out serving the Lord, and now out of the Lord's work. I want you to know something. That is becoming more and more not the exception to the rule. And let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. The devil wants every one of you. And I don't care how spit, shine, and polished you are and how educated you are and how much you know. In reality, the closer you are to God and what God has for you to do in this world, the more of a target for the enemy you become. And that's why Jesus' next words in Luke 22 helped me. He says, but I've prayed for thee. Aren't you glad Jesus is praying for you? He ever liveth making intercession for you and I. Now you're sitting in this chapel today listening to me preach, but let me tell you where Jesus is. He's seated at the right hand of the Father and he's praying for us at this moment. There's old Robert Murray McShane that said, if I could hear Jesus praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a thousand enemies. Then he stopped and said, but the distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. Now I'm going to tell you something. You've got a lot of people praying for you. Some of you got parents, grandparents at home praying for you. You have a home pastor praying for you. You got administrators and teachers here praying for you and friends praying for you. Let me give you a good word. If nobody on earth remembered to call your name to the throne of God today, I want to tell you on the authority of the word of God that Jesus is praying for you at this very moment because he's got big things for you to do. And then Jesus says to Peter in Luke 22, I've prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, we use the word conversion to talk about lost people getting saved. Let me tell you, God's people are the ones who need to be converted. Because sometimes we, we get in a, in a path where it's all about us and our way of doing it, and God says, that'll never work. That'll just never work. No, it's going to have to be God's way. He said, when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And by the way, he will do that very thing. Read First and Second Peter and see how the Lord used him to minister to so many other people. But where does that conversion take place? Well, a big part of it takes place in the conversation that's being had in John chapter 21. These are, if you'll permit me to say it this way, the early days. I want you to look me in the eye for just a moment. The early days matter. Administrating in a college for so many years, I had so many young men come through my office and say, Preacher, I just got to get out of here and do something for the Lord. So anxious to get to the next thing that they were missing the thing that was right in front of them. I want to remind you that our God is a God of order, that there are seasons of life just like there are seasons on earth, and every season prepares the earth for the next season. Listen to me. And God is getting you ready right now for everything He's preparing for you. And right on time, He's going to put all that together. Now, let's just be honest. Everybody wants to be Peter on the day of Pentecost. Let's take a survey. How many of you like being Peter on the day of Pentecost? I mean, wouldn't you like to preach the sermon? 
when the Holy Ghost fell and 3,000 people are saved, when the wind of heaven blew, and I said, oh, I'd love to, love to have been there on that day. Did you ever think about all the unnamed, unknown days Peter lived? I'm 42 years of age, and at this juncture of my life, I'm starting to figure out that life is filled with ordinary days. Lots of them. Now, I've had a handful of extraordinary days. The day I got saved, that was an extraordinary day. How many remember the day you got saved? Was that a good day? Greatest day of your life. I remember the day God called me to preach. July 27, 1989. That was an extraordinary day. I was a 12-year-old boy. And I know the Lord dealt with me that night. Praise His holy name. I remember that first sermon in a little cottage prayer meeting. It was pitiful. But I remember those early days. I preached on the Holy Spirit. What does a 12-year-old boy know about preaching on the Holy Spirit? And all the little grandmas and grandpas came by and told me that was the greatest sermon they'd ever heard. They lied. That's what they did. <laughs> Encouraged me. I remember going to college. I remember the early days. I remember we, we lived in, a, in the church building. <laughs> In a nursery room, they'd made into a prophet's chamber. I didn't even realize it then. Those were truly great days. I remember sitting in chapel services, hearing people come through and preach the Bible and sensing the stirring of the Holy Spirit in my heart, and all I was thinking was, I can't wait to get out of here and really do something for the Lord. But the reality is God was doing something then in the early days. I remember meeting my wife. That was an extraordinary day. I remember the day we got married, Friday the 13th, luckiest Friday the 13th of my life. I'm from West Virginia, and she's, from, she's a Yankee from Michigan, and we met in Bible college. And I remember those were extraordinary days. I remember the day we held our first child in my arms. She's 19 now, and I looked at Morgan as a little baby. That was an extraordinary day. Look. Life has its extraordinary days, but by and large, by and large, life is made up of lots of ordinary days. And here's what I've discovered. Men are remembered for their extraordinary days, but they're made on their ordinary ones. Pardon me, but everybody remembers Peter for being the guy who stood up and preached Christ on the day of Pentecost and heaven came down. But I want you to know, Peter was not what he was because of what he was on that platform that day preaching on the day of Pentecost. Peter was what he was because of what God did in his heart in John chapter 21. And I want to say to you, if there's someone that God is blessing and using, you be very sure you remember this. It is not because of what you see in public. It's because of what they are in the private place alone with God. Pardon me. It's not always about the latter days. It's usually about the early days. Oh, satisfy us early with thy mercy that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. How many of you want God's blessing on the rest of your life? You want God to use you? Then let me tell you how. In the early days, you learn what it means to walk with God and let God be thorough with you. Don't you miss what God brought you here for. There are no shortcuts to the perfect will of God. Pardon me, but there is no bypass around certain difficulties. God is at work in you 
so that God can be at work through you. And Jesus has a conversation with Peter. Notice when he has it in verse number 15, it was when they had dined. If you read the rest of the story previous, you'll find out they were having breakfast. They fished all night, didn't catch anything. So Jesus fixes breakfast for them. Wouldn't you like to have breakfast with Jesus? By the way, we're going to have supper with him really soon. I'm looking forward to that. There's something intimate and special about sitting down, having a meal. People talk about things over meals. They don't talk about it any other time. That's why Baptists love fellowship so very much. People open up over a meal. Let me give you a recommendation. There ought to be some time every day where you have a spiritual meal with the Lord. I'm not talking about breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I'm talking about there ought to be some moment where you pull your chair up to the Lord's table and you say to the Lord, now, Lord, I need my own soul fed. And by the way, I'll tell you this. He's getting ready to tell Peter, feed my lambs and feed my sheep, but I want you to know you can't feed others if you haven't been fed yourself. There's a divine order here. God wants to minister to your inner man. If you don't learn what it means to walk with God every day, very shortly, sir, you won't have anything to say. You'll have nothing to give and pass along to a hungry world that needs the Word of God. And so they've had breakfast together, and the Lord Jesus is beginning to teach him some things in these early days. And as I meditated on these verses last night, just looking through them, the Lord, by His Spirit, just started showing me some things He's been teaching me. Isn't it amazing? We all need the same lessons, don't we? I want to show you some of them. I'd like for you to write them down somewhere, would you please? They all come from these verses. Here's the first one. In the early days, you learn something about yourself. Dr. Bill and I were talking about this a few moments ago, but this season of life when you're in college is needful. And God has his own way of preparing people. My, my dad was a businessman. He never got to go to Bible college. And God called him to preach late in life and then led him to take a church, and he had his own way of preparing him. And God prepares all of his servants the way he chooses but I want you to know God always prepares His servants. And one of the ways that God does that is He shows you you. And that's not always a pretty thing. As a matter of fact, if you think it's a pretty thing, you're not there yet. It was Socrates that said, know thyself. He meant in a very humanistic way. That's not at all what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about you knowing yourself. I'm talking about you seeing yourself like God sees you. You see, you are not what you think you are. And you are not what others perceive you to be. You are what God knows you are. Let me ask you a question. If 60 seconds from right now you stood face to face with Jesus and gave an account of your life, what would he say about it? I didn't ask, what do your teachers think of you? I didn't ask, what do your roommates think of you? I did not ask, what do you want others to think of you? You see, we've raised an entire generation, pardon me, in our social media society and in our Instagram world with all of our filters to put on a very good show for public consumption. And I will tell you something, none of that is going to matter at the judgment seat of Christ someday. You've got to see yourself like God sees you. And so notice where Jesus begins with him. He uses a name. Now, his name is Simon Peter. Remember, the Lord Jesus added to his name. He gave him a name. But the name that he uses here is the old name. 
Simon. Why would he use his old name? He's been saved, he's been called, he's been serving, he's been preaching. And Jesus goes all the way back and uses his name Simon. As a matter of fact, he goes so far as to call him Simon, son of Jonas. He takes him all the way back to his childhood, all the way back to his youth, pardon me, all the way back to the early days. And why would he do that? To remind Simon that, Simon, apart from me, you're nothing. And the first great thing God's going to show you about you is your weakness. See, everybody wants to be Peter, that rock, that preacher. I'll tell you what the Lord will do. He'll humble you. He'll let the air out of your balloon. It was F.B. Meyer that said, as a young minister, I thought that God's blessings were like wrapped gifts placed on shelves one above another so that the higher a man went in his knowledge of God, the more he could attain to God's blessings. As an old man, F.B. Meyer said, I was wrong. God's blessings are like wrapped gifts placed on shelves one below another so that the lower a man goes, the more access he has to God's blessing. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I want you to listen to me with your heart for just a moment. If you think you're able and capable and ready, you will fail. But if you recognize that you are nothing and he is everything, God will use you. And sometimes the most gifted people are the people that make shipwreck. And you know why that is? Because we have this tendency to lean on our strengths and ignore our weaknesses. And let me tell you something about your strengths. Your strengths will fail you. Because God's going to have to bring you to the place where you remember who you are and where you were and where you would be apart from Jesus Christ. Let me tell you about Scott Pauley. I'm a black-hearted, hell-deserving sinner in desperate need of the mercy of God. And if I got what I deserve, I'd be burning in hell right now. But I'm not in hell. And praise His holy name, I'm never going to hell. And I'll tell you why. Because of Jesus. There's nothing good in any one of us. If there's any good thing in any of us, it must be Jesus Christ and His goodness. And I spoke the other day on the campus of the school where I went as a boy. It was where God saved me. Stirred me. Preacher, sure it stirred me just to be on that property again and to think about how God reached down and touched the heart and conscience of a five-year-old boy and brought him to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And it reminded me of something. I'm still that five-year-old boy. I'm a sinner. Praise the name of God. I have become a child of God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that young preacher boy in the hills of West Virginia just starting out, standing in a living room, preaching that first sermon, look, that's who I am. That's all I am. And I want to remind you today who you are. You are nothing without Jesus Christ. And God will have to show you that. Again and again, He'll show you that. And by the way, not only does He show you that you're weak, but watch this. Jesus asked Him three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And I know I've heard all the things about the different words used for love and all that kind of thing. But may I just make a simple observation? Sometimes we miss the simplest truths. Watch this, please. He was saying to Simon Peter, Simon, I want to tell you something. I'm teaching you something. You see, one of the greatest ways to teach is by questions. He's teaching him. He's saying to him, the greatest thing you'll ever do with your life is love me. 
The greatest thing you'll ever do is not preach a great sermon. The greatest thing you'll ever do is not pastor a big church or have lots of meetings. The greatest thing, young man, young lady, you'll ever do with your life is love Christ. And I'm going to tell you something. We need to fall in love with Jesus and stay in love with Jesus every day. And a heart that is on fire with love for Christ is a heart that God will bless and use in the lives of lots of other people. Cultivate the fire in your own soul. Stay near to Jesus Christ. And out of the overflow of that love, God will use you to be a blessing to so many other people. Look, it's not about your name. It's not about your plans. It's not about your gifts and abilities. It's not about your determination and what you say you can do. It's about one thing. It is about loving Christ with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. Look, it's about loving Him. And when you love Christ as you ought to love Him, then God will use you to make a difference in this world. Look, you're days away from finishing this semester. And all God's students said, Amen. Amen. And some of you are worried about your school bill and some of you are worried about your exams and some of you are worried about what you're going to do this summer, worried about what you're going to do when you graduate. Why don't you back up just a second and push the spiritual reset button on just loving Jesus. And I'll tell you what I've discovered. When you love Christ, Christ takes care of everything else you need in your life. As a matter of fact, look down beyond the verses we read. Come to verse 18. He says to him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, When thou wast young, the early days, Thou girdest thyself and walkest whither thou wouldest, but when thou shalt be old, and for the record, we'll all be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. Stop just a second and look at me. On the count of three, shout out your age. One, two, three. Wonderful. That's a great year, all right? I want you to add 40 to it right now in your mind. Hurry. Use your fingers, your toes, your calculator. You add 40 to it. On the count of three, I want you to shout out your new age. One, two, three. You're going to be old. And look, you say, oh, it doesn't happen like that. Just like that. When I was a freshman in Bible college, you know what I wanted? I wanted to be a senior in Bible college. When I was a senior in Bible college, you know what I wanted? I wanted to be out of Bible college. When I got out of Bible college, you know what I wanted? I wanted to be married. When I got married... We wanted to have children. And when we had children, I wanted to stop. <laughs> but it doesn't work that way. And I look in the mirror this morning and I see gray hair. And I got a text message late last night from my daughter, 19, who's in college. And I said to the preacher driving over this morning, it's just like this, isn't it? How life passes. See, when you're young, you do what you think you want to do. You'll be old. You will be old. And you'll look back on the only life God will ever give you on this planet. And you'll think, dear Lord, what did I do with it? And I tell you in the end, the only thing that matters is, did you love Christ? Excuse me, do you really love him? Here's the test. Look at verse 19. This make he signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him. What's the next two words, please? Do you understand that's the same words he started his relationship with Peter with? How did it all begin? Follow me. How does it all end? Keep on following. You might graduate from this college, but you're not going to graduate from following Jesus. 
The rest of your life, you're in this constant pursuit of Christ. To walk in His steps, to walk closely to Jesus. And the earlier in life you learn that, the greater the rest of your life is going to be. Here's the second truth. In the early days, God not only makes you learn something about yourself, but secondly, it makes you learn something about others. <laughs> this is eye-opening. What would you like to know? Well, look at it, please. Three times he says it. Mark it in verse 15, feed my lambs. In verse 16, feed my sheep. And in verse 17, feed my sheep. You know what God's going to teach you? He's going to teach you that people are sheep. Does that mean they're dumb? Sometimes. But let me just give you a caution here. If you're going to talk that way, remember this, you're a sheep too. Sometimes even the shepherds forget their sheep as well. And we all need the good shepherd. The sheep are dirty. They are directionless. They are defenseless. What do sheep need? Sheep need a shepherd. It was Spurgeon that said someday, think of this. He said someday the shepherds will no longer feed the sheep. Clowns will entertain the goats. We have arrived. So much of what is done in the name of church work today, it's not feeding sheep. It's entertaining people with no consciousness of the presence of a holy God. Reverence has been lost. Where is God in all of this? Where is the Lord and real worship and pointing people to Jesus Christ? Listen to me. You must always remember one thing, and that is people are sheep and sheep need a shepherd. And for the record... You're not the shepherd they need. Look at the words. He says, feed what sheep? Huh. Now we get to thinking, this is my work. These are my people. This is my... No, look, friend. Everything you have is on loan, and you're just, you're just one of the Lord's helpers. That's what we all are, just the Lord's helpers. But whose sheep are they, please? They are Christ's sheep. And God loves them with an everlasting love. It's mind-boggling to me to think that God loves me. What a sinful man I am. What a sinful man I am. But the Lord loves me. And when you look at people, if you're not careful, in ministry especially, you can get very disillusioned. Oh, yes, you can. You start out with all the youthful idealism of what you're going to do and what people are going to do. Let me just tell you, people are going to let you down. They're going to disappoint you. They're going to say things. You're going to get distracted. And here's what you got to do constantly. you got to come back to this. Look, please. It's not about them. It's about him. That's why later in the same chapter, uh, Peter gets his eyes on John and says, Lord, what's this man going to do? And Jesus says, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. You're constantly coming back to the simplicity and the sincerity that is in Christ. See, some of you right now, you're so everlasting distracted even with your schoolwork. Some of you are saying, that's right, we shouldn't be doing our schoolwork. That's not what I'm saying. Now, I mean by that, you're so consumed with what you are doing that you're neglecting the being. Listen to me. If you'll be what you ought to be, you'll do what you ought to do. God will help you do what you ought to do and give blessing to it if you give first priority and preeminence to the place Christ has in your life. 
Some of you are so distracted, and here's what you think. I know what you think because I lived it. You think, if I get out of college, I won't be under this stress. No, you're going to get out of college, and you're going to be under other stress and greater strain and the pull of people and the pressure of the world. You hear me, please. If you don't learn early on to get your eyes fixed on Jesus and your heart set on Christ every day walking with Him and loving Him, you're never going to be used of God like God wants to use you. You're going to feed his sheep. You're going to have to learn something about yourself and something about others. But there's a third thing, and this is really the crux of it all. In the early days, you have to learn something about Christ. And what is it you learn about Christ? You ready? Oh, this is deep and profound. Boy, if you don't write this down, oh, get this. It's going to be hard to remember. Are you ready? He's enough. That's what you have to learn. Christ is enough. You boil all of the Christian faith down to one thing. You know what it is? Christ is enough. Last night in the meeting, a sweet lady, 82 years of age, came Roman Catholic all of her life, all of her life. One of Brother Dietrich's great couples, wonderful people, met her, been working on her, bringing her to church. They brought her last night, and she said to the pastor before the service that she was so excited. This is the first revival meeting she'd ever been in. Can you imagine that? 82 years old, never been in a revival meeting in her life. And last night, she was gloriously saved. It was sweet. And you know what she said to the pastor's wife? She said to her, I've been in church all of my life. She said, but I didn't find Jesus there. She said, but a few weeks ago, I started coming to this church, and she said, Jesus is here. She said, I saw Jesus here. Oh, God, deliver us from us. Too much us. Not enough Jesus. I read in a CNN article not long ago, the title of the article was Why Millennials Are Leaving the Church. By the way, I'm so sick, sick of hearing people say, well, this is a different generation. Let me tell you something. Truth endures to all generations. The problem's not with the generation. The problem is we've not given them a clear glimpse of Jesus. The Christ of the Bible. And the one thing that captured my attention in the article, they surveyed a number of millennials, and here was the exact quote they said, millennials are not leaving the church because they don't find the cool factor there. Millennials are leaving the church because they don't find Jesus there. Brother Bill, I learned something preaching as an evangelist. You know, when you... When you're in a Bible college setting, you're teaching and preaching through lots of sections of Scripture and lots of subjects and all that kind of thing. That's one thing. But then when you get out preaching in evangelistic meetings, I found something. I found that you can preach the Bible and not preach Christ. Now let that sink in just a moment. You can take a portion of Scripture and you can preach something very good and very helpful even from the Bible. And the Lord may bless it and use it in the lives of some people. But you hear me, please. When you preach Christ, there is a power that attends the name of Jesus and the message of Christ that is connected to nothing else. I'll tell you why. Because when you start talking about Jesus, the Holy Spirit speaks up. Because that's what He loves to talk about. 
Don't know what the Holy Spirit wants to talk about? He just likes talking about Jesus. That's what Jesus said. He's not going to speak of himself. He's going to speak of me. He's going to glorify me. And here's the great secret. Watch this, please. If you can build your whole life and your whole ministry around the sufficiency of Jesus Christ, I promise you that every need in your life and every need in the lives of those you minister to will be met fully and abundantly because Christ is enough. Pardon me. Where had Peter been right before they had breakfast? Anybody remember? Where had he been? What had he been doing? Fishing. I'm not preaching against fishing. I like fishing. But he'd been fishing and he'd fished all night and caught how many fish? A grand total of zero. To use Peter's word, nothing. Remember Jesus said, without me you can do what? Nothing. And Jesus says, cast your net on the other side. And he, Draws in 153 fish. He brings them to the shore. Did you ever notice that when he brings them to the shore, Jesus already has fish? There's a little humor in it, don't you think? Come on, Peter, bring your shipload of, of fish to shore. Bring your nets to shore. And here he comes with all of it. And he gets there and finds that Jesus already had fish. See, he doesn't need your fish. He just wants you. And this is what the Lord really dealt with me about. Watch this, please. If you'll take care of feeding his sheep, he'll take care of your fish. Some of you are worried right now, how are you going to pay your bills and how are you going to live? Let me tell you how. God is going to take care of you. Can I tell you something liberating? I don't have to depend on anybody. Not if I'm serving the Lord. And you know why? Because he pays well. And he always takes care of his servants. And some of you, you've gotten so everlasting worried about fish, worried about how you're going to do this and how you're going to make ends meet and what you need for that and what you're going to do. Wait a minute. Forget all of that. Jesus has more than enough. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. Peter, you just go feed the sheep. Actually, the first word he uses is feed the lambs. I love that tender expression. You know, the heart of Christ is for the little ones. This is not my message, but just look at me for a second. Could I challenge every one of you to have a heart, a heart to reach boys and girls with the gospel? A heart to reach young people in another generation. Moody said if he had his whole life to live over again, he'd give it all to reaching children. God in heaven, awaken the shepherd's heart in every one of us for the little lambs and the old sheep and everybody in between. Because everybody needs one thing. Everybody needs Jesus. And here's the beautiful truth. He's not only going to meet your needs, he's going to meet every need that they have. Let's do something. Go to 1 Peter with me just for a second. I'm almost done. Come to 1 Peter chapter 5. Who wrote 1 Peter? I knew this was a very intelligent crowd. He writes in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 1, the elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. See if this doesn't sound vaguely familiar. Feed the flock of God. Sounds like you got it, doesn't it? Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, not for a bunch of fish, but of a ready mind neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd, how many of you shepherds capitalized in your Bible? 
Let me tell you why. Because that's not Peter and that's not you, that's Jesus. When the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. By the way, this is wonderful. The first mention of God as shepherd is in Genesis. That's right, in Genesis. In the blessing on the life of Joseph, in parenthesis, aren't you glad even God's parenthesis are inspired? In the parenthesis, it calls him the shepherd and the stone. Think of that, the strongest thing and the gentlest thing, that's what the Lord is. Did you know that 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 4 is the last mention of shepherds in the Bible? And the first and last mention are Jesus. Thank you for that, Lord. Can I tell you about my Savior? He's a good shepherd. Oh, he's the good shepherd. His heart is for others, for bringing the flock home, for, for going after the one lost sheep and finding it. Oh, what a good shepherd we serve. And you may never be a pastor. You girls, I'm pretty sure you're never going to be pastors. But you men... I assisted a pastor for nearly two decades, but I'm an evangelist now. I'm not a pastor. I thank God for faithful pastors. My dad's a pastor, and I thank the Lord for them. And the very term pastor means shepherd, but listen to me. You may never be a pastor, but you should have a shepherd's heart. And I'm going to tell you why, because that's the heart of Jesus. Read on, look at verse number 5. Likewise, ye younger... Submit yourselves unto the elder, yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. What's he saying? He's saying, if you're ever going to be the shepherd you ought to be, you're going to have to learn something about yourself that you're nothing. You're going to have to learn something about others that they're needy, they need your God. And you're going to have to learn something about the chief shepherd, that he is all you need and all they need. It's interesting when you study the Bible how God prepared his greatest leaders. He prepared them as shepherds. Hey, Moses, I'm going to give you several million people to lead. It's a big flock. It's a big flock. I'll tell you what I think I'm going to do. I'm going to send you to the backside of the desert for 40 years and let you keep some old dirty sheep and see how you do in the early days. And if you do well in the early days, then I'll give you more. Hey, David, would you like to be king of Israel? Oh, yeah, I'd like to be king of Israel. Well, good, here's what I want you to do. Here's your slingshot. I want you to go out yonder in the field, take care of daddy's sheep. Take good care of them, son. The lion will come, the bear will come. You watch. See, out in the sheep fold and in the field with the sheep, David wasn't just getting a shepherd's staff in his hand. He was getting a shepherd's heart in his heart. So finally God says, all right, that's good. You did well in the early days. Now I'm going to give you my favorite flock and let you keep them. Hey, Peter, would you like to preach on the day of Pentecost and be used to guide wandering sheep to God? Would you, would you like to write a couple books of the New Testament, letters to scattered sheep, and would you, would you like to help direct them? Oh, yes, Lord, I'd like to do that then good, you're going to have to start by recognizing you're nothing. And what those people need is not you, it's me. And when you get there, you'll be ready to be my shepherd. You'll be ready. Because the Lord will be enough. I've been reading an old book 
by a man named Charles Jefferson. Jefferson was not exactly like us and wouldn't agree with everything probably that he writes. He's with Jesus now. He's been dead for almost a century. He wrote a book called The Minister as Shepherd. It's a profound book. You should read it. I was on a flight the other day. I was by myself and I was... Actually, my wife was with me. My wife was with me that trip because I said to her, I stopped midway through the chapter, I said to her, every young preacher should read this chapter. It just captured me. I'm summarizing, but here's what he said. Hold on to your seat. He said, we've done the very same thing the Roman Catholics have done. When I read it, I thought, what? We like to pride ourselves, and we got the right doctrine. We believe the right thing. We got the truth. And then he said this. He said, the Roman Catholics have created a system whereby all of their religious services, all of their worship revolves on how well the priest can administer the Mass. How good he is at it. And he said, while we don't believe that, what we've done is we've created a church situation where it's all about how good a speaker a man is. How wonderful a sermon he can deliver. How articulate he is. How, how polished his outline is. And here's what the man said. He said, I challenge you to study the New Testament and tell me what kind of preacher Paul was publicly or what kind of sermons Peter preached every time he spoke or what kind of outline any of them used. And then he said this. He said, the thing that set God's preachers apart in the early New Testament church was not their public displays. It was their shepherd's heart. And I think we've reduced the ministry to what everybody sees in public and everybody says, that's a preacher there now, that's a preacher. And I wonder, is that a man with a heart in love with Jesus? I must tell you, and Dr. Bill, you know what I'm talking about. It's easy even as an evangelist to get very professional, mechanical. It's almost like push a button and, you know, it comes out. I want you to know something. If you ever get there, you're not feeding the sheep. Oh, no. No, you might, be, you might be throwing a little stale bread at them, but you don't have any fresh manna to give them because you haven't had your own soul fed. You know the hardest thing about being a preacher? Being a Christian. Just being a Christian. It's easy to preach sermons after a while. Some of you are gifted organizationally. You're going to be a great administrator. And if you're not careful, that's what you're going to be. You're going to be an administrator, but you're not going to be in love with Jesus. You're going to be a great teacher, great in the classroom, but you're not going to be in love with Jesus. And I think all of us need to go back to the early days and just remember where God brought us from, how good God's been to all of us, and say to Jesus, Lord, restore to me the joy of thy salvation and don't ever let me get far from the cross of Christ. Because, friends, that doesn't just work in the early days. That carries you all the way through to the very end when you see Jesus face to face. Lord, I pray you'll use the truth of the Word of God this day to encourage young servants of the Lord in this place. Teach us to love Christ. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I want to give a very specific invitation, if I may. How many of you just be honest with God? Be honest with God and say, you know what? I've been in the motions and the mechanics of it all. I've been in the flow of what I've got to get done and thinking about that and the finish line. 
And the reality is I haven't really been loving the Lord and communing with him every day and sitting at the breakfast table with him like I ought to. And today the Lord's convicted me. I need a revival of just loving Christ in my own heart. Preacher, that's me. I want you to raise your hand big and high in the air with mine, would you please? Here's my second question. How many young men and young women in this room would be honest and say, Preacher, the reality is I'm convicted because I have gifts and talents and abilities and desires and strengths like everybody does, but today I get it. I get it. It's not about me. It's not about my sermons. It's not about my ability to move people. It's about Christ. And Preacher, God helping me, I want to rededicate myself today to the sufficiency of Christ in my own life and in my own ministry. I want today to be a, a new beginning, a spiritual reset for me. It's all about the Lord. It all revolves around the Lord. I want this to mark my life and ministry. Pray for me. I want you to lift your hand toward heaven right now. You say, that's me. And here's what we want to do. I'm going to begin a prayer. I'm not going to say amen. I'm not finishing the prayer. I'm just starting it. When I finish my part of the prayer, I'm going to point to the piano. And without any singing, just, just music, I'm going to ask on the first note of the piano that every one of you that know God's touched your heart, I'm going to ask you to leave your place and come join me in this altar for a closing prayer. And if you don't know what else to say to Jesus, why don't you just start this way? I love you. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, you know me. Yes, Lord, I do love you. I want to love you more. And I want to live in love with you all of my life. Father, seal this truth to our hearts. May the Holy Spirit do the work no preacher on earth can do. And teach us to love Christ supremely. And may Christ be all to us, our whole life. And I thank you for it. For Christ's sake. If this Bible message has been used of God in your life, or we can pray for you in some definite way, please contact us at enjoyingthejourney.org. We hope you will share the message with others who may also be encouraged by it. For additional full-length Bible messages, please visit Dr. Scott Pauley's YouTube channel. Tomorrow is the Lord's Day, and we want to encourage you to be faithful to attend a Bible preaching church in your area this Sunday. Thank you for listening to The Weekend Pulpit, and don't miss Enjoying the Journey daily devotional podcast each Monday through Friday.